scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, and left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounds. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. All right, let's get it going on this Wednesday, March 15th. Bonkers, we're already midway through March. Aaron Vickers and Steinberg along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I think... uh, Michael Backlund speaks for a lot of Flames fans after what we saw on Tuesday night. Another lost point against a team they needed two against. Another lost point against a team they couldn't afford to drop a point against. This time, it's Arizona. 4-3 overtime loss. And what is frustrating and what we talked about a lot on Tuesday's show... It's okay if you drop games to teams below you in the standings if you can still come out of that game feeling like the effort was good, feeling like you did everything in your power and you just got goalie. And you just got you just got beat by a team that's better on that night. That's not what Tuesday night was in Arizona. I don't really care about the 45-25 shot edge. Uh, that was not the type of effort the Flames needed in the situation they find themselves in right now. Anyway, here's Michael Backlund, uh, and and I think he speaks, especially at the front end of this 30 seconds, of, of how a lot of Flames fans are feeling right now. It's tough. Uh, been this spot before. Uh, it's getting old. Um... Yeah, we battle back, uh, but you know, after a big win on uh, against centers, we should come out with more jump and you know take charge of the game um, and play better than we did in the first two periods. And and uh, I mean, they're a hot team; they play well lately. We knew that going in, but yeah, um, yeah, just disappointed uh, we didn't get two points. It's that right at the beginning where he says it's getting old. And it's 68 games into the season, and it's still happening. They're supposed to be the desperate group, and like no wonder it is hard to keep selling to fans that this thing is going to turn around. It's I, I feel like I'm a snake oil salesman <laughs> sometimes when I'm sitting here saying, well, it's only five points back, and big game against Vegas on Thursday. Like, and, and I'm not saying every fan is like this. There's still plenty. We heard it on Flames Talk post game, even on Tuesday night. There's still plenty that are are holding on to hope, and and that's good. I I like positivity. I love it, especially with the 68 games that we've seen to this point. I'm all for the positivity, but I understand if you're a fan, you're saying, Pat, just give it up. Stop trying to sell it to me. It's not going to happen because it happened again on Tuesday night, and and the fact that it feels as predictable as it is has got to be super frustrating. And as Michael Backlund just said, it's getting old. And of course, they're going to come out and probably play way better against Vegas on Thursday. And and we'll be talking about something completely different. That's that's The predictability of it is getting really frustrating. So, yeah, it is getting old. I think that's a very, uh, very good way for Michael Backlund to put it. A little bit of Groundhog Day going on with the Calgary Flames right now when it comes to weaker opponents and not putting together their best effort. But wouldn't it be completely on brand? To go into Las Vegas, blow the doors off, win yes. by two, three, or four, 
reignite a little bit of hope in the Calgary Flames that is absolutely dwindling right now. Their lifeline is flickering. Not a whole lot to be impressed about in that game against the Arizona Coyotes. And you said something off the hop. I think they gained a point. They didn't lose a point against the Arizona Coyotes because they had no business coming away with one. Never mind two. They got it to overtime. They had an opportunity to take two. They leave with one. I don't think they deserved one. Never mind the two, to be perfectly honest with you. They played... So lackluster. They played so lacking of urgency. They're running out of time. So when you put forth an effort like that, and yes, the Arizona Arizona Coyotes coming in had not lost in regulation, I think six straight or seven straight coming into the game against the Flames, but it's still the Arizona Coyotes. Their top defenseman was number eighth on Calgary's depth chart six months ago. Brett Ritchie, who was a healthy scratch, was on their top line. Their starting goalie has 28 career starts. Outside of Clayton Keller, who are you worried about on that team? And yet, they were a defensive tire fire in that game. No urgency, no our season is on the line. I'm surprised they got away with one. Two would have been a miracle to me. And and I do, like, I, I get it. I get that Arizona is at a stage in their season, deadline's done, and Gostas Bear's gone, and, and Chikrin's gone, and they've made their Nick deals. Nick Ritchie's gone. Ritchie's, uh, the, the Ritchie brothers have been swapped. And again, we don't get them head-to-head in the <laughs> matchup on Tuesday. But, like, I get it. The Coyotes are playing loose, much like Anaheim was playing loose on Friday. I will never forget being in that Anaheim locker room Friday. It was, you were there. Yep. It was like a party in there Friday morning. Like, Trevor Zegris he might as court. well. Yeah, I know. He might have, Trevor Zegris might as well put on headphones, got a couple Pioneer decks, and started spinning. Like, he was, that. it was it was a party in there on, on Friday nowadays. morning. Yeah, you still have decks. Do you? Yeah, oh, yeah. PGA Power Play. Yeah, Dex, and then you hook it up to... The things you learn and, sitting yeah. across from Pat Steinberg. It's DJ Power Play. I'm not Who buying knows? into that All I'm saying is that I, I get it. They're loose, and the Coyotes have given, and the Ducks have given lots of teams, lots of good teams or teams ahead of them. They've given them lots of struggles, but I... Oh, well, they're loose. Go out and beat them. Be loose yourself. And I know it's easier said than done. I, I understand. I get all that. But... There's now 14 games to go. The playoff hopes are are hanging by a thread. I think everybody inside that room understands the expectations, not not from Aaron and Pat, but the expectations that they had on themselves. They know what they felt. We all saw how excited this group was in training camp to start the season and how they felt like there's something special that could be done here. And they continually put those efforts on the table uh, on nights where they've got an opportunity to build on something. And so, yeah, it is, it's getting really old and we're 68 games in. So it was old. It was old a month ago. I don't know where this team goes from here. They're, you mentioned it. They're literally hanging by a thread. If you look at what the Winnipeg Jets have done and where they are and what they're trending to. And now I apologize, Nashville Predators. I've written you off about eight times on this show about don't worry about them. They sold <laughs> off everything in the trade deadline. Now sure, they've won ahead. two or three. Now they're ahead with games at hand. Three of them. It is getting scary for the Calgary Flames in terms of their path. They need so much help from here on out. There's 28 points left for them to grab. By my math, they're going to need roughly 22 of them, and they play the best team in the Western Conference, at least as it stands right now, tops in the Pacific Division, if I'm not mistaken. They have got a massive hill to climb, and they don't need me or you to to tell them what's in front of them in order to make the playoffs, but it does not look good. The math is absolutely terrible right now, despite Money Puck's 
hella optimistic 21.8% shot of the Flames making the playoffs that this seems, year. That seems pretty realistic. A Does it? One in five shot to get there. Yeah, it seems because it's not like it's not like they're so far back that you have to use a, an electron microscope to see it. But it's the way that they've played that makes so many of us skeptical that it's going to happen. Uh, five points has been a race before, and it's not like it's them having to jump four or five teams. There's really three teams that are in the mix for one spot right now. So it's not completely out of the question, but it's it's more the pattern that we've seen through more than three quarters of the season. We are now... 68 divided by 82. We are now 82. Jeez. We're almost 83% yep. done the season. That actually, I, that's a surprising number. Too. There you go. Uh, we're 83% done the season. So why in the final 17%? Uh, look at that math. Didn't even need a calculator on that one. Why in the final 17% are we all of a sudden just expecting, well, now they're going to figure it out. Kadri and Uberdo are going to be awesome together. And those guys are going to drive the bus. And everybody that needs to show up each night is going to show up each night. That's why I think the skepticism is as high as it is right now. Okay, so the Winnipeg Jets are on pace for 95.2. The Predators are on pace for 94.6. The Flames are on pace for 89.2. That's if you take their points percentage throughout the season. For the Flames to get to that 96, because they can't settle on the tiebreaker right now with the Winnipeg Jets. They have less regulation losses than everybody. To get to 96, they need 22 of 28. 785 points percentage from here on out. And you did just snag one from the Arizona Coyotes, but that is probably the least inspiring point they've had in quite some time, I would say. Would you like? Uh, would you like me to? I'll uh, hear. Yes. I am. Yes. I know gonna, exactly where you're going. I'm going to try me. to be the snake oil salesman here. For Give you. it to me. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to need you to clip that, and uh, I'm going to use it as my ringtone. Let's not. Um, so th- here's my here's my snake oil for you, because I do look. I don't want to be talking about this stuff. It it's the show's called Flames Talk. Way more people listen and way more people hit download and play when they're winning and when they you know how you know how good last year was compared to this year? People wanna hear fans wanna hear about a winning team. So I, I would love this narrative to change. So in the in the um or in an effort to also provide a glass half full balanced approach to this Winnipeg and Nashville play each other twice between here and the end of the season. So assuming that they split three point games coming right up. Yeah, that's a good point by you. <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm Sorry, trying man. to suggest, well, if, if they split, then each team only gains two and that keeps them a little bit closer to the flames. Um, that is interesting. The Winnipeg and Nashville have got two more head to heads. Calgary's got one each with uh, Nashville and Winnipeg between here and the regular season. Um, and and right now, if you're the Jets after their five three loss to to Carolina in a game that was really like it came right down to it, but the Hurricanes get the two and the Jets lose in regulation. But if I'm Winnipeg, I'm looking over my shoulder at two teams, but I'm looking over my shoulder more at Nashville, saying, "Holy, they've got three in hand on us and are only four back." Wait, aren't you trying to sell? me on Calgary making the playoffs yeah, tried, here and now you're now you're telling me Nashville's got the best chance I tried I mean okay so I'm gonna unnamed texter flames need to go 11 and 3 to get to 96 points they have 24 regulation wins so they need to basically up their win total by 30 percent roughly I'm not gonna do the math I didn't grab a calculator but they need to up it 30 percent in the remaining 15% of the season so that would or or they could do like I mean yes there are other iterations and you can hit me with them 
just trying to do that. <laughs> Nine, one, and four. That would work. Yes, it would, in theory. Now, and that depends. Does one of Nashville or Winnipeg get hot as opposed to just carry on the play they've had through the first 65 to 67 games of the season? Nine, one, and four would give them the 22 points. It would give right? them 22 points. And get them to 95. Six. 96, right? Yeah. They're 74 now. Look it. I get it. Um, to me, it was less about them getting the single point um, because, yeah, sure, the, every point counts, absolutely, but it was more the way they played again. And I don't know if it, I don't know if it is the the nerves or the the enormity of the situation that that gets into the heads. Like, okay, we this is a team we've got to. I, I don't know, but is it is it them going into a game against Arizona, seeing where they are? We need these two points. We have got to make sure we beat the Coyotes. Whereas you go into Thursday's game against Vegas, like, well, damn, Vegas is a good team. We got to put our best effort on the ice, and if we if we do that, we may still lose. Maybe it's a little easier to play uh, a little more free, and and maybe you're able to stick to it a little bit more and not have that dark cloud hanging over you the same way you do. I don't know. I'm grasping at straws here because I don't understand why this pattern has continued for 83% of an 82-game season. I mean, we've been saying it all season long. They're not playing to the sum of their parts. If you look on paper, this is a playoff team. This should be a Pacific Division contending team. They have the individual talent to get there. Collectively, they haven't meshed or put it together for whatever reason. This should be a playoff team. And the way it's trending, they're clearly not. And that's got to be a disappointing season. This isn't a rebuilding year where you almost sneak in or it's not the find-away flames where you're having fun with a somewhat rebuilding squad. This is one of the most veteran teams in the league, and they haven't found a way to put it together through the first 83%, as you say. Tick-tock, time's running out. 17% left. Yep. The party don't stop. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Um, I don't even know what to say to that. What a pull. Pat, do you think there's a chance the Flames just don't care enough? I mean, if they don't make the playoffs, they get fully paid and have a good have a good summer in an off season. They don't owe us a championship team. It's just entertaining. Sad to say, but it's just not their year, and I think they're okay with it. That's on the text line as we dive in at nine sixty nine sixty. I don't think they're okay with it. I don't get the sense that it's so oh, well. It's there's a lot of anger in that room. I think there's a lot of frustration. Um, I really do, but I don't think that that frustration has been used Correctly. in a proper way. Is, yeah. a, is a good way of phrasing it. Um, this says Mike. Mike says this team's been so consistently underwhelming that they'll likely just underwhelm their way straight to the fifteenth pick of the draft. This team and organization is so mid. This from Sam Pat. I think I. I don't think you could sell me enough snake oil to make me believe the Flames have a sliver of hope to make the postseason. With the continued pattern the Flames have shown us this season, uh, for them to get to 96 points, they need to go 11-3 and down the stretch. Just not going to happen. On current cap friendly, the Flames have $1.3 million in cap space for next year. Flames have pennies to play with this offseason. So what can they do personnel-wise for next season? Or do they run back with 90% of this current roster with the deletion of players on expiring deals? Um, Well, I mean, I think the offseason questions are going to be fascinating. But I think that depending on how this season ends, and especially if it ends the way that it's trending towards, um, there's going to be some sort of change. And I think there will be personnel change. I don't think... Huberdeau or Kadri or uh, Uyghur or, you know, the Markstrom. I don't think the, the, the high paid big tickets 
are going anywhere. But I, I do think there's a chance that there's going to be some personnel change up this offseason if if this continues trending this way. Well, especially if the cap's only going to raise $1 million, that puts the Flames... Uh, and Flames aren't alone on this. This is going to put about 18 teams in the league in dire straits in terms of trying to squeeze a 22-man roster or a 23-man roster, if you can do that under that cap. It's just going to be interesting what the approach is in the offseason. You mentioned personnel. We don't know what uh, the front office is going to look like in five months from now too. So that adds another wrinkle as to do you run it back with the same, hoping for a different result and give them a second chance? Or do you start to pick and choose who stays and who goes and try to reconstruct your roster over the summer? Uh, This text in response to uh, Michael Backlund's it's getting old. So true. So true. Sad. uh, Sad. Actually, this says, um, this team needs a new coach. Daryl cashed in on career years from Kachuk and Gaudreau. He's missed the playoffs more often than made them in the last decade. Um, this says, does anyone else feel that Sutter in his quirky ways is hoping that one of the players in the dressing room will finally step up to the mantle and claim the captaincy that this team so desperately needs right now? Every team in the NHL has a captain who acts as a buffer between the coach and players, someone who exudes excellence and on and off the ice and demands the best of his teammates, but who also isn't afraid to push back at the coaches when they feel the pulse of the club is trending like it is right now. I think it's time for a players-only meeting to iron this out while there's still time left in the season. That comes from David. I, I know there are many who believe that uh, a captain is something that is needed. I'm not suggesting that it, like, I'm not suggesting they don't need a captain. I think it's time. I think once this season is done, it would be pretty silly not to go into next season with one. But I don't think putting a C on somebody's jersey 68 games into yeah. the season will do a lick. I don't think it changes a single thing between now and the end of the regular season. I really don't. I'm not even so certain in the role of the captaincy anymore because if you're a big enough presence and a big enough voice in that room and carry enough weight, changing an A to a C shouldn't be the difference between winning 10 of 14 and you know, just fading into the playoff picture for me. Uh, Ray in Calgary says, how about shake the lines up? Try something crazy Ooh. like Dubé between Pelche and Mangiapane. Speed and tenacity. Huberdeau back with Lindholm and Toffoli. Backland with Coleman and Dewar. Then Lewis with Lucic and Rizicka. Let Kadri sit for a few games. Thoughts? Well, on the line side of things, stay tuned for the Daily Flames Roundtable in just a few minutes. And this text from Robert. What has happened to Kadri? Where's the pest, the bleep disturber, the guy other teams love to hate? He certainly hasn't shown up in Calgary for the Flames this year. Was really hoping he'd be the guy like Kachuk who would pull his teammates into the battle. That's just a little bit at 960-960, and that's a perfect transition into the Kadri conversation I want to have. Because the Nazem Kadri we saw against Arizona on Tuesday night needs to go into permanent hiding. That guy cannot show up again. That guy needs to be done this season. We need the Nazem Kadri that we saw Sunday against against the Arizona Coyote, uh, sorry, against the Ottawa Senators. That guy has got to show up in way more of the final 14 games than any other version. And the guy that we saw last night against the Coyotes, the guy who was forcing plays and trying to do everything himself and coughing pucks up and not back-checking on overtime winners and handing pucks directly to Barrett Hayton for a shorthanded go-ahead goal in the third period, that guy's got to disappear. The, the Flames will not make the playoffs if Kadri and, and Huberto was not much better despite scoring the goal. We talked all day about him, or, or or we've talked so much this week about him going back on the left side. Great. Awesome. Go out and be an impact maker then if you're on the left side. 
we can't see an invisible Jonathan Huberto. We can't see an invisible Nazem Kadri, and we sure as hell can't see a detrimental Nazem Kadri for the final 14 games. Well, I mean, we can't see them because they're invisible, Patrick. <clears throat> Anyways, they were noticeable for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> I think, is what you're driving at. And to be perfectly honest, you mentioned, yeah, Huberto scored that goal. Pat, I think you might have had that one because it was just a clear right place, right time, yeah. bounce off the ass and in. So. You need more out of those guys. Those And Nazem Kadri hasn't scored since February 16th. We're closing in on one month. It's been a dozen games. He makes $7 million per. Yes, you're paying him a lot for some of those intangibles, the experience, so on and so forth. You're also paying him to be your second-line center, and a second-line center has to produce. He hasn't. We talked last week, two weeks ago. I'm not sure exactly when. Kadri has to be one of the guys driving the bus over the last 20 games of the season in order for the Flames to have a chance. Jacob Markstrom was another. Jonathan Huberto was another. The only one out of those three that are holding up their end right now, and it might be the most surprising, no offense, Jacob Markstrom. Right. Without Jacob Markstrom in that game against Arizona, that would have been an absolute runaway for the Coyotes. What do you have? Stop two breakaways and a two-on-one in the first 15, 20 minutes. Like, they were such... They were running around in their own zone so much... The only guy that really brought it to me was Jacob Markstrom, despite the fact that he allowed the goals that he did and in the total. But to flip it back to Nazem Kadri, you need to produce. Eight assists in 12 games. Half those games, he didn't register one single point. He has to have a bigger impact. And for me, and it sounds so cliche, but less is going to be more for him. I think he's trying to do too much. I wonder if he's between his ears a little bit, knowing the expectation, knowing the salary, knowing where the flames are, mm-hmm. knowing what his role and responsibility is. But to me... Less is more. Chip pucks, play direct. Don't try to beat a guy. If you turn the puck over at the offensive blue line, guess what? Your team's at a disadvantage going the other way, and that's happening too much for me. Yeah, and I I mean, I hope and I think that what we're seeing is a result of what you're talking about. I I think part of what has gone into the frustrations of Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberto this year, the frustrations from us on the outside, has been the fact that I I think that they, I mean, this is the first time for both of them they've been on premier NHL contracts. You know, Kadri was was not on a premier contract. He was one of the best value players in the NHL as a member of the Leafs and then the Avalanche, right? This year, he gets paid. He's one of the biggest free agent signings of the offseason. He gets seven by seven. That's a lot of cash. And it was, and because of when he signed it and the offseason the Flames had already gone through, it put even more of a spotlight on it. Absolutely. Jonathan Huberdeau went from being a 115 point player at $5.9 million and giving you incredible bang for your buck last year to being on the final year of that deal with a pending $84 million payday coming afterwards. Both these guys, I think, are, I hope and I think, I don't know for a fact, but. My gut tells me because I don't think Kadri doesn't care and I don't think Huberdo doesn't care. I think both these guys are very emotional, dialed in people. I think part of what we're seeing is the fact that they're putting a little bit too much on themselves and trying to do too much to try to turn the fortunes as opposed to just playing a little bit more simple. And I don't know how you fix that. I don't think it's as simple as, Hey, bud, just go out and play a little more. I don't think it's that easy because if it was that easy, we wouldn't still be talking about it 68 games into the season. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't think this is a, a case where, okay, well, now my bank account's going to be flush. I'm set for the next seven years if you're Nazem Kadri or next eight years if you're Jonathan Huberto. 
I wonder if how the acquisitions went in the summer weighed on him, at least in the early portion of the season, where Jonathan Huberto looked and went, okay, I got to be Johnny Gaudreau. And Nazem Kadri came in and looked and went, okay, I got to be the Matthew Kachuk of this team. That's not what the Calgary Flames needed. They needed them to be their own individual players. And we haven't seen that for extended periods of time. I think Nazem Kadri has shown it through periods more than Jonathan Huberto has. But you need to show it for more than three, four, five game stretches. You need a collective run where it's not the norm when you don't look like who you are as opposed to being invisible except for being noticeable when the wrong reasons come about, whether it be a turnover or forcing a play or you name it. You ran through the list of, of the Nazem Kadri from the game against the Arizona Coyotes. They need to be the players they were signed to be, not what we're seeing right yep. now. Yep. And again, I don't think it's from a lack of effort. I don't think it's for a lack of caring. I don't think it's because, oh, look, I got paid. Now I can relax. I do believe in my heart of hearts that these players care and all they want to do is win. They're just not finding a way to do it and not finding a way to contribute the way they should be. Some more text to wrap up uh, the conversation before the Daily Flames roundtable. It's the responsibility of the head coach to have a team play to at least the sum of their parts. Great coaches get more collectively from the roster. This year, Sutter has them way underperforming. I mean, that is one of the things that Daryl Sutter has has always um, been talked about for doing, and that is getting the most out of his rosters. This year, that is not happening. I think that is a fair criticism. Uh, this says, by his own admission, Coach Sutter tells everyone what an amazing bench manager he is and what a great system he runs. We haven't come back to win a single game in the third. They have lost 14 in overtime. Is he the answer or is he the problem? This says, why aren't we talking about how the coach has lost the room? The reason why we don't say that is because we don't know. We're not in there. We're, I, and I always... I always have trouble making definitive statements about things inside a locker room that for good reason, I'm only allowed in for 15 minutes after practice. The, I, I wouldn't allow me in there for any more than that. That's their, that's their place. And, and so I don't know if that's the case. So I don't like to, I don't like to um, talk as if speculate or talk as if I know what's going on inside the room. Uh, Coleman and Duchess says they went from a team of stars looking to get paid to a group of stars that just got paid, and it shows. Um, this says uh, personally, I think Kadri's tired from his ca- cup run. I think they have a better Coleman this year. Hopefully, Kadri will be a better Kadri next year. Um, and there you go. That's uh, that's that's our text line so far on this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk, at least to kick off this hour. I imagine it's going to continue to be very, very hot and heavy on the text line at 960-960. Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg along with you as we're underway this hour. I've got a bit of an announcement coming up uh, for Stampede. Ooh. So Stampede 2023, we know there's always great shows. And coming to the Dome on Saturday, July 15th, if you are a wrestling fan, this is the announcement for you because All Elite Wrestling is coming to Calgary on July 15th. That's right, AEW and their House Rules Tour. It's their first foray into non-televised events, and AEW is coming to the Dome on July 15th, the Scotiabank Saddledome, for the House Rules Tour, which I believe kicks off 
on Friday in Ohio. Uh, so the House Rules Tour is rolling through. They're going to get as many of the big AEW stars as they can. Tickets on sale Friday at 10 a.m. through Ticketmaster. They start at $36.75 plus fees and taxes. Uh, and for more information, uh, you can go to alleliterestling.com. One more time, AEW House Rules is at the Dome Saturday, July 15th. Tickets on sale Friday through Ticketmaster. They go on sale at 10 a.m. More information at alleliterestling.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for the Wednesday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Upgrade your current Mercedes-Benz to a 2022 model with a 2% additional reduction. Drive over to Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary Airport. It's Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our daily roundtable. Um, gents, the, uh, the team practiced in Nevada on Wednesday after a 4-3 overtime loss in Arizona Tuesday. They're getting set for their next game against the Vegas Golden Knights, and by uh, all reports that uh, I checked in on, kind of forward lines were all over the place and nothing really set. So we'll see how it all shapes up for Thursday's game against the Golden Knights. But guys, would you make significant changes to this team's forward lines? Would you uh, put them straight up in the blender going into Thursday's game against the Golden Knight? I would. I think it's time, guys. And the main change I would make, which would lead to a bunch of other changes would be to break up Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri. Uh, it, it just doesn't seem to be working. So I would do one of two things. I would circle back to trying Jonathan Huberto on the left side of a line with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli. And I know the Flames tried that earlier in the season and it didn't work as well as they wanted it to or hoped that it would. But I'm not convinced that that won't work if they circle back to it again. Huberto's their best passer, Lindholm's their best shooter, and Toffoli's been their best forward this season, or at least he leads the team in goals and points. So I wouldn't hate them trying that line again. And if they don't want to go down that road again, what about trying Andrew Mangiapane on the left side of a line with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli? So if you were to do that, then you've got uh, the duo of Nazem Kadri and Dylan Dubé. And what I think you could do there is put either Andrew Mangiapane, if you're not going to put him on your first line, put him on that line, or try Jacob Pelci on that line because he's been really good and his details are excellent and I think he's done a great job retrieving pucks both at 5-on-5 five five and on the power play, so that would give you another option. And that, of course, would mean breaking up what has been the Flames' best line for the last two or three months uh, with Andrew Mangiapane playing on the left side of a line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. And I've been hesitant to do that, guys. But even though Michael Backlund has four points in his last three games, Blake Coleman is goalless and pointless in six, and Andrew Mangiapane is pointless in ten, 
and goalless in 11. I'm not saying that line hasn't played well defensively, but they need more from Manjapani and to a lesser extent, Coleman offensively. So depending again on what you do with the Lindholm and Kadri lines, you could go one of two ways. Maybe you try Jonathan Huberto with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman for the first time, or I think you could put Jacob Pelche on that line, and that would give you a really good shutdown line with uh, three players who are a pain in the butt to play against. So there's a few different things as far as the fourth line is concerned. I thought Milan Lucic responded really well to being a healthy scratch for three games earlier this season, and I wonder if we're at a point in time where sitting him down for a game or two or three might help him uh, put some gas back in his tank. And if you do that, then you could either put Adam Ruzicka uh, at center or on left wing and put Trevor Lewis in the spot he doesn't play in, or maybe try Nick Ritchie in one of those spots. But uh, yeah, I think it's time to, to try something new. Yeah, I don't see any reason why you would. And it's not like they're eight, one and one, they're past 10. They're only three, four and three. And I've been a staunch defender of keeping Majapani, Backlund, Coleman together for the longest time. They're second in the NHL in expected goals for at 67.8%. They're first in Corsi four percentage at 65.8. That doesn't matter anymore. You're up against the wall, and it's not about one line. It's about getting three or four lines energized for the final 14 games of the season. And originally, I had it kind of laid out, putting Majapani with Kadri and Dubé, Pelche with Backlund and Coleman, because I think Pelche could be a good fit there. I'm with you in the thought of maybe you reunite Huberto and Lindholm together with Defoley because you do have your best passer, your best shooter, and your best forward all on one line. But I am kind of curious because I do feel like Michael Backlund probably needs a bit more of a reward, and I would be curious, as you said at Wilsey, putting him with Huberto just to see what kind of chemistry they could have together because Backlund, yes, he has six points in his last 10. You mentioned it. Majipani, none in his past 10. Coleman only has three in his past 10. I find it puzzling how that works with, you know, their expected goals for and, the, and their shot generation, their shot suppression and all that. But I'm fully on board with putting everything in a blender and nothing really is off the table in terms of mixing up the top three lines for me. Fourth line, yeah, you look at one of Nick Ritchie or Milan Lucic, one of Trevor Lewis or Adam Rizicka down the middle, and then Walker Dewar on the right because Walker Dewar to me has earned a little bit more of a permanent position on this forward core. But everything is fair game for me at this point. You're running out of time. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't like. What do you have to lose at this point? Would be my question. You've got everything to gain, and it's not like we're talking about a bunch of lines that are playing so well together that you're hesitant to break them up. Yeah, I, I mean the the big ones for me, unless and and you know I would have pushed back and been an absolute no on this for the first, I don't know, four months of the season. But here we are. We're almost 85% of the way through the season. Um, somebody suggests putting Lindholm on the right with Kadri and Huberdeau and loading up the top line. I can't even say no to that anymore. Like, anything mm. different. And, and and you know what? Then maybe your depth at center is a little bit different. Maybe you're going Kadri, Backlund, Dubé down the middle as your top three center. Anything that is Meh. Different. I don't even mind. I'm not saying that's what I would do. I'm <laughs> I not even saying no. To not that what I would do. Point. Yeah. I, I do think it's time. Huberdo, whatever you do, Huberdo and Kadri, I think needs to be split up. There's just very little chemistry on a regular basis between those two. And despite Daryl Sutter feeding them to lower lines because the Backlund and Lindholm line take on tougher matchups, hasn't worked on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, I've been very much reticent to break up the backland line, but 
you can always go back to it. You know that they're going to work together yeah. if they're apart for two games, two periods, or two weeks. Uh, so yeah, it's time. I don't. I just don't know what you have to lose at this point. Yeah, and Aaron, you brought up the expected goals for. Yeah. At this point in time in the flame season, I'm tired of hearing that stat because how many expected goals for did Andrew Majapani have last night? I mean, the chances have been there. He's just not capitalizing on them. And he's not the only one. But when you score 35 a season ago, uh, you're expected to produce at a higher level than he has this season. So, you know, maybe giving him a, a fresh look with a couple of new line mates uh, would help him get off the schneid. And when I think about reuniting Huberto with Lindholm and Defoley, the one thing I, I wouldn't say I worry about, but I do wonder about, is I think when they've had Dylan Dubé or Jacob Pelche on the left side of that line, those guys have played with a pace that Jonathan Huberto doesn't play with. Now, obviously, he is at a whole another level when it comes to his ability to make plays. Uh, no do, uh, disrespect to, to Dubé and Peltier, but you know Huberto did set an NHL record, uh, most assists by a left winger in a single season with 85 last year. So he is an elite playmaker when he's right. And in my opinion, he's the Flames' best passer, and Elias Lindholm is their best shooter, with Tyler Toffoli not too far behind. But uh, I do wonder about a lack of pace on that line if you put Huberto there. So that's why I think uh, Manchapani could potentially play well with Lindholm and Toffoli, and that uh, Huberto playing with two players uh, in Backland and Coleman who can both drive a line with their pace uh, could be a fit. And it's something we haven't seen before. So just wondering what they're going to do. And I will say this, uh, the precipice for this conversation from my perspective came from breaking up Huberto and Kadri because it just doesn't seem to be working. Mm -hmm. I will say this about my thought process, though. I'm not saying that the reason that isn't working is on the coaches. Ultimately, players play the game, and those guys both have to be better, and they both said as much. But I also think that the coach can, at times, do things to help the players get to another level or succeed. And splitting those two guys up is something I would be interested in seeing right now. And uh, we'll see if after some juggling at practice uh, today, if Sutter goes down that road tomorrow. Yeah, I don't disagree with the fact that this whole conversation starts with the need to split Huberto and Kadri. And I was curious, Wilsey, where you'd go if you'd take the bait, if you will, in the expected goals for percentage, because you're absolutely right. At this point, it doesn't matter if you're 100% expected goals for. The only thing that matters yeah. is goals for because you're so desperate right now for points. Expected goals for. You can blow up that line, which is by lots of metrics been the best line in the NHL this season. But at the end of the day, it's about goals, assists, points, and then team points and moving up the standings for the Calgary Flames. Uh, it is our Daily Flames Roundtable. Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, and Pat Steinberg with you on this Wednesday. Another overtime loss for the Flames. Uh, they have a very poor overtime record this year. The only overtime record worse than Calgary's is Philadelphia's 1-10. in uh, The Flames are 4-11. and And this is the concerning thing, guys. They were four and they were four and nine last year in three on three overtime. This year they're four and eleven. That's eight and twenty over the last two seasons combined. That's a two eighty five winning percentage at three on three overtime. And for Daryl Sutter, who has been very adamant about how good his team was at three on three in Los Angeles, I asked the question: Why is three on three such an issue? for this team this season, but not just this season. Why has it been such an issue for them the last little while? I actually think that three-on-three -three overtime has evolved over the years. Don't you guys? 
it, it doesn't play the same way it used to be. It used to be uh, a track meet, so to speak. And now, for me at least, it's more about possession. And I actually have what I consider to be a pretty strong theory on why the Flames haven't had more success in three-on-three overtime this season. What's their modus operandi? What are they uh, looking for on a night-to-night basis? Lots of shots. Yep, shot volume. That doesn't work when you're playing three-on-three overtime. At least I don't think it does because it's all about possession and shooting from the perimeter and not scoring and just giving the puck to the other team isn't a recipe for success for me. I think they've been impatient at times, trying to force plays that aren't there instead of just holding on to the puck. And if you have to, you know, bumping it back to your goaltender or turning back in your own zone and and resetting. I just think that they've been a little bit careless with uh, the puck at times and a little bit impatient with the puck at times. But for me, it's kind of that shot volume mentality. Instead of looking for high quality chances in three on three overtime, uh, I think they've had it ingrained in their brains that uh, they have to have this, this high shot volume and that's led to lower percentage chances. That's how I see it, it, it might not be what's going on, but uh, it's the best way I can try to explain it. Yeah, one of the root issues for me was puck management. So you did such a good job on that, Wilsey. I'm going to skip that completely. One of the other things that I've seen more so this year, I can't necessarily speak to it last year because it's so long ago to me and my memory is that poor. But for me, defending has been an issue with them and not just man on man, but switches and changing off and who's covering who. I find that the Flames seem to get confused at times over who should be attacking which guy and who should be keeping an an eye on the high guy. To me, that's something that's been a bit of an issue. And something that I've seen more recently is ice management and line change management. We've seen a couple of bad changes, a couple instances where one guy tries to dart off to get a fresh guy on the ice, but the Calgary Flames don't have possession and you're trying to catch the other team sort of backtracking a little bit and maybe thinking you have an opportunity to change when really it's your one pass away from creating an odd man rush the other way. That's something that I've seen that hasn't been necessarily great of late. And then the other issue is, you know, and it ties back to puck management a a bit, but wearing out your opponents, keeping them on the ice longer so that they get tired and put them in instances where they can't change wear them down and you can rotate through your lines, but not give them an opportunity to rotate through theirs. So those are a couple things that I've seen. And again, maybe it's more recency bias on it, but those are a couple things that I've mm-hmm. seen of late that make me raise an eyebrow. Yeah. I mean, guys, I, I think that you, you're, you're onto something on both fronts. The only, and I've got some theories of my own. I think this year, especially recently, I think there's just been, because the situation is so desperate and getting points is so important, I think sometimes, I I don't think Michael Backlund makes that change in Vegas uh, a few weeks ago if he's not all up in his head trying to make the safe play. Um, And and you're making the safe play because you know how important every point is. Like, I've got some theories as to why it might be this year, but then I go back and I look at, with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk in last year's lineup, they were four and nine in three on three overtime. Like, is it a lack? Uh, are, are they practicing it enough? Are they getting enough reps in practice doing? It? I I don't know. I, uh, I I honestly I think you guys both make very very good hypothesis. I just I honestly don't know what it is because eight and twenty over two years with drastically different personnel is hard to wrap your head around. I mean. It, I, I honestly don't know why they've been such a poor team at three-on-three. Three. Like, shootouts are one thing. Shootouts are a skills competition, and it's a coin flip. Three-on-three, three, 
is is a different animal and i think you you have to be specialized at it or you have to there has to be practice at it and i don't know i i honestly i don't get it guys i really don't i used to see every practice home and away and now i only see the practices at home but let me ask you guys this because you guys are at every practice when's the last time they did practice three on three i don't know i'll defer to pat on that i, with I, the, I, I don't know i don't know i don't know either and that that's an interesting point you bring up, Pat. So it is interesting that it's carried over from one year to the next, but they do have a, a similar style of play. Uh, so I do think that you can explain it uh, at least to some sense that way. But there's also been some individual mistakes, Pat. You mentioned Michael Backlund's change, an uncharacteristic mistake by a guy who's having a career year. Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, Jonathan Huberdeau, was a little too south instead of north in the way he was playing three-on-three. And what I mean when I say that is, I think if you're going to move the puck south, it better be, okay, we don't like what we see, let's reset, as opposed to a back pass when you've probably only got one guy high, if you have any guys high, which means it's going to lead to an odd man rush the other way. I think you've got to be way more direct when you're in the offensive zone because, uh, you know, playing the puck south, uh, if, if something goes awry, then you've only got one guy back if you have any guys back, and that is probably going to lead to a high-danger chance at the other end. So, you know, there have been some bad breaks. There have been some individual mistakes, but uh, we've got a large enough sample size over the last couple of seasons. You know, the Flames, in my opinion, they just haven't been patient enough and haven't possessed the puck enough um, and I do wonder if that shot volume mentality is coming to play. Thank you, Willsey. Okay, see you soon. He is uh, Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that is your Daily Flames Roundtable on this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk. It's brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Upgrade your current Mercedes-Benz to a 2022 model with a 2% additional reduction. Drive over to Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary airport uh so the uh flames take on the vegas golden knights on thursday that wraps up a quick two-game road trip then they're back for one and then they're back on a two-game road trip bizarre march schedule for the flames but a tough one thursday against vegas which we will of course set up on thursday's show right now time for our wednesday flames talk best bets which are brought to you by bodog.net find your next favorite game at bodog.net hashtag make a play free play only 18 plus play responsibly you know with 45 shots on net i was surprised that tyler Toffoli only had two yeah against arizona not um, bitter about it at all over here i can tell you that much right now uh he went under his two and a half shots we went two and one on tuesday that was our miss we we definitely hit Connor Ingram on the over 33 and a half saves as he made 42. Uh, so Ingram hit his over on saves. Jason Zucker hit his over two and a half shots and Toffoli did not go to over two and a half. So two and one on Tuesday up to three and two on the week. I like next to nothing on the Wednesday slate. I like, I've got one for you. Uh, I would have liked more, but Alex Ovechkin being a game time decision for that caps uh, Buffalo game. Has me all up in knots, so uh, I've only got one for you. Uh, And it's not even like a super sexy one, but I've got Zach Parise of the New York Islanders over one and a half shots uh, as they take on the Anaheim Ducks. Honestly, I don't like anything else on Wednesday, but I do like Parise over one and a half shots versus the Ducks. So give it to you? 
Yes. <laughs> Give me Zach Parise over one and a half shots. So do, you, do you have anything else to add? You're always, you've got your different metrics that you look at. Uh, yeah. I, Jordan Cairo has hit four straight at, at over three and a half. He's playing Minnesota, so I don't know how much I love that one. Nathan McKinnon's hitting three straight at four and a half, and he's 59% on the year at that number. They're playing at Toronto, so I wonder if there's a little extra spice there being in Toronto. JT Comfort at one and a half. He's hit three straights and 58 on the season. Those are some things I'd take a look at, but I'm like you, nothing really jumps off the page in terms of, oh my God, I got to bet this because I'm going to get rich with my $3 bet. We'll have more on Thursday, I'm sure, with a larger slate, but just the one Wednesday Flames Talk best bets. I've got uh, Zach Parise over one and a half shots versus Anaheim. That'll wrap us up this hour. Cam and Taylor have been our producers. Vickers is on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg and uh, your Flames Talk best bets brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at bodog.net hashtag make a play free play only 18 plus play responsibly 